welcome to another episode of the Legacy Investing Podcast. My name's Nate and I'm joined as always by my good friend Josh, an awesome producer. How you going, mate? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm going good. How's the week been? Yeah, week's been pretty good. Um, good. Yeah, I think I've got a bit of a slower week this week, so uh, it's good. I might spend a bit more time practicing some investing which i have actually made the effort to do over this last week or so and it, i'll tell you what it's um it's good for the mind good for the mind stretching the stretching the mind and um yeah exercising the brain that's good yeah um, yeah, yeah, so we, yeah good we missed last week's episode sorry i uh ended up uh, away in uh poor reception so we uh didn't get to record last week but thanks to you the wicked producer you were able to come to our <laughs> rescue and put up a vault episode so thanks for that and um oh, yeah mate there's, there's a few few wobbles in the share market this week um what's your take on that uh, the chinese evergrand um issue and i guess the the debt ceiling in america is starting to and i guess inflation as well is starting to um maybe give the market a few little jitters we had a couple of two percent days there on the australian share market on uh monday and friday and we're recording on the third of october um yeah, it's, it was an interesting week. It was. It's um yeah, it's it's very interesting what's happening globally at the moment. Um, I think yeah, I had a bit of a read of the whole ever Evergrande debacle, and it sounds like they're in some hot water, eh? Um, mm. A lot of debt, um, and even the you know the numbers that they put up on their uh, annual reports with regards to you know their saleable items and the you know, I'm pretty sure they've inflated the hell out of them as well because uh, from what I could read, they're trying to offload a lot of stuff and nobody's willing to buy it. So that really mm. doesn't carry much value when nobody's willing to pay for it, does it? <laughs> mm. It doesn't. It's interesting what's happening in China. I was reading um, they've got like, they've got enough buildings or enough um, dwellings to, you know, house 90 million people over there at the moment. And some, um, some of the footage, they're just blowing up you know, entire buildings and sort of, areas or um yeah. just because of no one no one living there they haven't been able to sell them and yeah um, so we'll see we'll see what happens over the coming months and um you know again once again we've had a pretty ordinary september um on the markets so that's a, typically i think one of the worst months of the year in in the share market so we'll see what happens with october and running into christmas but uh it doesn't affect us too much in how we invest no. we're kind of cheering, cheering on a few of these stocks going lower and a random one, just a random one. And I don't know how much this has to do with like the economic play of what's going to happen in the future, but um, I don't know if you are caught up with the news. Obviously I read a little bit of the, um, you know, I guess the defense style kind of news and yeah, China have been a little bit aggressive towards Taiwan this week. Um, and we know yeah. that Taiwan has their little ties with uh, the U S so, uh, you know, it seems to be like another little, Another little uh, jitter between the two countries, even though it's indirect. Um, yeah, they flew over a few big uh, ships of, uh, you know, lethal jets over Taiwan over the weekend. So Did they? interesting okay. terms, yeah. yeah okay. So obviously, it's not directly economic, but you know, it always has its play in the in the whole system. So interesting times. Interesting times, yeah. Well, stay ready, have your watch list, and um, you know, I've I've been cheering a couple of my shares down this week and getting ready to uh, to buy a couple again. But um, I might just sit on the sidelines for a little bit longer, and um, we'll, we'll see what happens this week. It, it could be an interesting week. But let's get into what we're doing. We're still doing this checklist. Um, um, you know, essentially getting through that. We are 
on to understanding the management of the business. And we got a few down into that one. We talked about return on invested capital and return on equity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're up to the part of the checklist. Uh, the business has low maintenance capex. Do you want to explain yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, low maintenance capital expenditures, uh, meaning basically the company doesn't need to and need to here, not like most companies will because, you know, it grows a company or, you know, whatever, but low maintenance capital expenditure in terms of the company doesn't need to spend a lot of money to maintain itself. So um, I'll throw out an example here, A2 Milk, low capital expenditures, high income company. Um, basically most of their uh, money goes to advertising because they're basically a brand mm. company mm. that company doesn't need to spend a whole lot of money to maintain itself whereas you could think of mm. say a company that has a lot to do with residential or or commercial mm. or some sort of real estate there's a lot of uh, mm. capital expenditures goes into maintaining that company so therefore they have to spend a lot more to I guess, continue. And uh, that maintenance capital expenditure doesn't go towards growth. That's just towards maintaining. So the lower they need to spend, the better. Uh, A good example of a high CapEx uh, business, like you said, um, I'll throw the miners in there and and sort of the energy companies that having to constantly update their machinery and factory lines and all sorts of stuff. So um, yeah, they're constantly, like you said, spending money every year um, just just to keep their business running essentially and the, and the software and service businesses are also ones that are really low um you know expenditure capex um so that, that that's part of the checklist yeah 100 percent. and the best part about having lower capital expenditures is you end up with higher margins and we know how important margins are for a company free cash flow is 75 percent of earnings or more yes that I guess that one's pretty self-explanatory. Um, the more cash coming into a company, especially free cash, which is cash after capital expenditures, um, the more you have, it's more in the back pocket of the company and they can choose whether they you know, want to pay dividends, whether they want to grow the company or buy back shares or mm. yeah, so it, um, more cash, more, you know, more for the company to have options. Uh, number six, owner earnings are 75%. So similar, similar to the one before, owner earnings are, are 75%. What's the difference there, mate, between free cash flow and owner earnings uh, for our listeners? Yeah, so owner earnings are very similar, I guess, to um, looking at like a real estate. Um, you're basically uh, putting back the interest into the company, still taking out the uh, maintenance capex, and um, essentially becomes the owner earnings uh this one's covered really well by both Warren Buffett and Phil Town. Um, so I'm not mm. going to go ruining it. I probably could have done my research before this, but hey, whatever. Um, but yeah, essentially we use owner earnings for our 10 cap pricing model. So um, it's not always that much different to free cash, but uh, you know, a company with higher uh, owner earnings, you can uh, usually value it a little bit higher. Um, and get buying it a bit better. But we just want to see at the end of the day, cash, cash, yeah. cash, cash. It's what's, earnings, less, earnings, it's what's earnings. left over. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, the CEO is experienced and has a great operational track record in this business. So th- I guess this is, you really need to get reading on these ones uh, to understand this. So getting into the annual reports, finding out um, the history of the CEO, where they've come from, how long have they been in this business for? And then 
you know, reading those annual reports and having a look at their strategies that they've set out maybe four or five years ago and seeing if the, the strategies and then the plan that they're um, trying to execute is in fact being executed. So you'll need your research for that one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, I think that it's good that say here in this business. So once again, you look at a company like A2 Milk and the turnover they've had in their CEOs and upper management at the moment, you know, that's that's massive red flags instantly, isn't red it? Flag. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, you just want to see that your CEO is doing a good job with your company, essentially. Yeah, I mean, that leads into next one, which is probably one of the more trickier ones in this management checklist is that the CEO behaves with integrity. Um, that's, that's, you know, again, you're going to have to be on the pulse reading the annual reports and, you know, whatever they're saying, even listening to the transcripts um, or listening to the the calls, I should say, and um, or reading the transcripts. Um, you know, what they're saying, are they actually implementing it and doing what they've said? Yeah, that, that one's hard. Definitely, but I think a I think a good uh, point to note here is that um, you know if you've got a CEO who makes a mistake or they have a bad year or something goes wrong, CEO who's willing to go, yep, I screwed up here. Um, however, this is our plan to get out of this, and you know straight away having the CEO of a company to uh, basically tell you everything what they're doing bad as well as good, um, and giving you plans to get out of that bad. Um, that's that's pretty integral in my opinion, and. Um, you know, that's, that's what I want to see. Warren Buffett's great at that. You read, you know, you go to his, or you watch the, um, the meetings or read the, read the um, transcript and um, the reports. And yeah, he's always saying, you know, we made a big boo-boo here um, with the airlines yeah. or whatever it might be. Um, in fact, uh, you know, even onto a lesser scale, a, a really small company called Team Invest Private, um, the CEO, Hal Coleman, has done it this year. In fact, in his annual report, he's talked about a company they bought um, the management of this company was not acting with integrity and um, he's come out and said it and it was their fault and they've replaced the management and um, have, you know, said exactly what they're going to do to um, you know, rectify the problem. So that's what you want to see in your annual reports and of the, uh, of the management. Uh, the next one's talking about pay. You know, is the CEO's pay reasonable and based on long-term success? Um, so, yeah, we don't want, you know, short-term share prices to be um you know a kpi of this ceo's money or salary essentially yeah for sure i I ideally don't like to see the short-term earnings per share kpi really um you know you look at a lot of uh um you know ceos that are found founder ceos and they care about the company they don't care so much about their pay they want to see their baby grow and um and like they're they're usually really good when it comes to pay I highly recommend looking at companies who are founder CEOs and reading their um, compensation plans. And a lot of it is tied to long-term success of the company, not short-term earnings per share targets. Mm. Um, Because at the end of the day, you know, if they're coming in, they're hitting these short-term share targets, which, which can be manipulated very easily. And then, you know, they're, you know, running the company to the ground, yet they're giving themselves an extra 50% a year. It's uh, it's pretty shit to look at. Sorry, pretty bad to look at. And um, ideally, yeah, we we don't really want to see that. Like you see some CEOs, and it's, it's unreasonable to ask CEOs to do this, but you know, so you, you see some CEOs take a dollar a year and they just go off their long-term plans, basically. <laughs> yeah, or, div- or dividends. Dick Adata does that. I think the owner of um, the gentleman who does that, he, I think he just gets paid in the dividends. I'm pretty sure Twiggy Forest. I don't quite 
doing on this one. He's he's been paid, I think, six billion dividends or something <laughs> for the last two years for Fortescue. Um, but yeah, yeah that's nice. a tidy little uh, yeah, nice salary, but just dividend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good on, mate. Uh, so management is buying stock. This is a great one. You always look at um, the announcements of companies you might be following. You have them on your watch list, and the um, you know the report comes back. You know it, it often is reported a few days later. You don't get it straight away. And you, you read down the um, reports and it'll have that, you know, a director has, you know, the director's interest has changed or our management's interest has changed. And you can have a look at it. And you really want to have a look at this one closely because you want to see that it's on market purchase. Um, and it's not just like a performance right swap or something like that. You want to see them putting their own money into the market, you know, buying on the market um, into that company. And that it's a, it's a, you know, not a perfect sign, but it's a pretty decent sign that this, you know, management team are, happy to buy the stock which is what you want yeah yeah 100 percent. like we always know that big sales from management is a massive red flag with a company um but big purchases from a uh, management is, is is the exact opposite it's what you want to see um you know usually for a management company they they they're insiders they know what's happening here so if they're buying big they expect some good results basically so yeah 100 percent. you want to see that they have a good understanding of the business and where it's headed. And, and although they may, you know, they obviously can't do insider trading, they, you know, like you said, would understand that the business is heading in the right direction and they are really backing that they'll execute their plan and strategies. Yeah. And another one on that too, then you mentioned that like uh, you mentioned performance rights, which is basically them uh, getting to exercise options in the company. That's how they get compensated sometimes. Um, when you look at these websites that show the insider trading uh, it's it's very easy to go, oh, wow, there's a lot of selling happening here. Whereas that selling, like you mentioned, is just them performing, uh, you know, their options, uh, performing their rights. Yeah. Um, so you want to see, like you said, you don't want to see, you know, sold, sold, sold. Usually you can tell because it's like, you know, a small number, a small number, it's the same number consistently. But when it's like a direct yeah. purchase or it's a, you know, a yeah, on-market purchase of a massive amount, you know that that's them putting their wealth to the company. And that's them, you know, directly linking their wealth into the performance of the company. And that's a good sign. Awesome. Cool, man. That's, so that's the checklist for understanding the management of the business. We've got a 10-point <laughs> checklist. Have you had a COVID test, mate? <laughs> no, You're in the heart of it down there, aren't you? <laughs> I'm nowhere near any of it. I'm out of the way. But no, I actually, I did get a little bit of a cold this week. I've been running around in some nice icy cold rainy victoria weather and um yeah i think i got a little bit of a cold from it but hey love you mate well i'm sitting here in a singlet 31 degrees in brizzy so i don't, <laughs> know, if that, I don't know if that makes you jealous i know where i'd rather be <laughs> Girl, let's bring on that. so the, the next one is understanding the margin of safety of the business so this is where i, I you know we're starting to talk about the price or you know having to think about the price of a, of a company uh, number one, I am confident I can pinpoint a conservative long-term growth rate of the earnings and cash flow. Now, without getting into this really deeply, because that's almost a podcast in itself, Yeah. what's the best way for us to assume? I mean, we can obviously go on the back of, um, I guess, professionals. You can look at their forecasts of trends and earnings and so forth. But what, what's, what's a, what do you use, mate, to quickly assess a growth yeah. rate? Um, you know, I guess I still look at, you look in the mirror to see what you can expect at the road ahead. So you're always going to use past performance and obviously mm. past performance doesn't guarantee future, but if you know, you've got a company that has a solid, you know, long-term intrinsic mode, 
uh, and it's performed as it has in the past and that moat, you know, you're confident that moat's going to stick around in the future. You can pretty much be happy with that carrying on in the future. Obviously you've got the outliers where you might have a, a newer style of company punching out 30, 35% a year. And you don't expect that to continue because that's big numbers. Mm. But given that you can be conservative on that and plan mm. for the next 10 years to be more conservative than the last 10, if that moat's still there, then you can start to look at that. And um, we've used in the, like we use sales, income, equity, and uh, operating cash to look at what kind of growth rate we can expect moving forward. And yeah, as long as all the stories are the same and they've had good numbers in the past, you can expect good numbers in the future. Mm. You can, you can actually do this really, really quickly. If you, you know, any of your stockbroking accounts, um, Comsec or, or whatever, I know you use um, Wall Street. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can, you can see it pretty quickly. And generally we are on the start of caution, you know, if there's, you know, a sales is 15% and, and, um, something else is, you know, 8%, uh, you can err on the side of caution there, but it, it does affect your margin of safety calculations, but, um, you can play around with it a little bit. Um, but we're always a little bit more conservative. You can in fact, look at the, um, historical PEs as well. And, um, I'll often look at the historical PEs and then Harvard as well and see if that's similar to the growth rates. Um, yep. So there's a couple of ways you can do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is like, this is only one of the three pricing models and ideally we would like to see all three getting close to each other depending on what kind of company it is. But yeah, this is a good way of doing it. Awesome. Uh, our projection of future earnings and cash flow is nowhere near the industry ceiling. Yeah. So this is where you need to have your... Um, knowledge of the industry again if you've got a, a company that you know is you know might be the best one of the best in its industry at the moment but the industry on average you know the top earners of the industry are making a million dollars cash flow a year and you're projecting your company to make five million dollars that's probably a bit unrealistic in that industry yep yeah. yeah. so you want it to be um realistic for sure and you want to know that it's got a fair bit of growth there too uh, let's explain. So I'm confident in the future earnings multiplier to determine future value. What does this mean? You're going to read it twice. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading, I'm reading it again. Um, yeah. So, uh, multiplier is basically price to earnings. So, yeah. you know, we want to know that, you know, once again, especially to do with the industry, um, well, we actually, we're talking about future value. So we're looking at saying, you know, if the company's earning, a multiple of 33 at the moment um and that's up at, at historic highs oh, historic high. yeah. so you're not expecting it to you know do your valuation on a p of 60 mm. that would be silly mm. i mean historically if there's a company that's sitting around 30 pe up over the last five to ten years and they have a uh you know a, a something happens a an event and they're dropping down to 15 you can be confident it's pretty pretty um or it's cheaper than historic mm -hmm. and um you know that's where we want to be confident we want to you know ascertain whether that event is short term or long term and and this is really what it's talking about for sure and if you can usually are on the side of um i guess you got two ways of looking at this you could go like the average p over the last 10 years has been this so i'll use that for future value or another way to look at it is like, I'm never going to sell this company until it's in a bull market if I sell it at all. So I'll mm. plan to sell it at the higher end of like higher range of the PE. There's two ways you yeah. can look at it. 
that number changes your outcome heavily. So it's mm. not a bad thing to run that at both ends and kind of see, you know, in the past, has it been more so, you know, even though it might be at a 30p right now, it's long-term high end has been 20. So you might just go, I'll use 20 for future, something like yeah. that. It all depends yeah. on your company. You have to know what you're looking at. And this is the whole part of the checklist. You, you want to be knowing this stuff. So, uh, I'm using historically reasonable current earnings number. Yeah. So this all comes down to seeing that it's uh, continually growing and you're happy with the growing moving forward. Um, earnings per share wise, you want to see that growing. If it's growing, 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 obviously. Um, yeah, I can't. Yeah. What else can you say about that one? <laughs> yeah, easy. Cool. Uh, number five, I'm using a conservative minimum acceptable rate of return. So this is, we've often um, talked about 15%. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we think, you know, that should be the minimum rate. So you, you use that in your calculations of a, of a margin of safety. You can, if people are happy with 10, they could use 10. If you're wanting 20, you would use 20. Yeah, for sure. I um I know, like I follow a few of the other Australian investors on YouTube um, and he aims for a 20, I think it was a 26% minimum acceptable rate of return. So that's pretty high. 26. So that's doubling every three years, I think. Yeah, it's doubling very quickly. Yeah, it is doubling Double every three years. Something like that. Yeah. So um I I use 15 just because of you know the people I've learned from use 15. That's a double every five years. So you know, a four X over 10 years isn't a bad idea. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 26%. Gee. Mm. Does he achieve this? Does he talk about whether he's achieving it? I haven't watched it. I haven't followed him enough to, to know that. Um, I, I think he, if he's not achieving it, I think it's pretty close. But he uses things like a payback time of six years and, um, you know, a higher... He's buying really low. Yeah, yeah. Um, he really actually... Um, I, I was watching a bit off topic here, but I, I, I've talked to you about buying corporate travel in the past. And um, after I'd bought and sold corporate travel, he was talking about buying corporate travel and his valuations were way higher than mine. And I'm like, oh man, I'm kicking myself. I should have watched this stuff before I sold. But um, I did my own research and did all that on my own end. So I was happy with that outcome anyway. But yeah, he's a smart dude. So I'm, I'll watch that a bit. Awesome. Who is it you follow, mate? Do you want to name drop or? Oh yeah, so that's, that's, that's Hamish Hodder um yeah and the aussie uh, what's he got the aussie investor or what's what's the oh the other ones um it was aussie uh wealth creation but now it's new wealth money creation. now new it's money. new money yeah, okay. yeah the new new money channel i rate him um and uh hamish hotter as well they're both pretty good awesome uh affecting the cyclicality of earnings and cash flow so any businesses that are going to be a bit cyclical in nature, um, you know, are we calculating them? Um, you know, are we calculating, you don't want to be calculating on the boom years and mm. expecting boom years every year, essentially. Um, you need to be able to understand that there's going to be some down years. Agriculture is a good example of that. Uh, the farming yeah. and, you know, they have boom years, they have great periods of good rain and, and then uh, it could be drought. So you want to um, factor in that. For sure, and that they they're buying opportunities as well on those down years. So buying a drought. Hey, what what is that? What does Jim Rohn always say? You know, following night comes day, and following winter comes spring. You know, there's always a downs and the ups. So take advantage yeah. of them. Number seven, I've factored in earnings reasonable estimates of future capex. So we talked about this earlier about capital expenditure. You know, we want to make sure that um, 
you know, if we have a share that we're following or we've bought into that um, we factor in, maybe their entire factory needs to be shut down for 12 months to have new equipment put in or something. So mm-hmm. if, if we are thinking that the cash flow, free cash flow is X, we know that one year it's going to be much, much less because of a um, big capital expenditure. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, we're talking full CapEx now, so that's including growth as well. So, you know, retail companies might have a future growth plan to open up X amount of stores. So you've got to factor into all that as well and put that into your pricing model. So, yeah. Awesome, mate. Uh, so last one, I just lost my spot here. Start up to eight. Up to number eight. eight. The, the business price has a margin of safety compared to the business value. Mm-hmm. So that's talking about equity. No, so this is this is simply, you know, if I if I value the company at hundred bucks, um, the price has to be fifty. This is the yep. margin of safety. So discounting fifty percent. Yeah. So awesome. you know, depending on how well you know the company, like you might know an industry inside out to the point where you're happy to buy it at the value, knowing that it's going to go up. Because remember, we do our valuation, you know, we do our minimum acceptable rate of returns on the value of the company. So yep. if we're buying at a margin of safety, we can usually expect a higher rate of return but um yeah at the end of the day we put that margin of safety in because the natural vicissitudes of life um you know there's always going to be bad times economically um we want to know that we're covering every every end that we can before we buy awesome uh number nine this is a good one uh i'm confident enough that in or confident enough in our value valuation that we would put 20 percent of our net wealth into this one business at the margin of safety price. So if we if we had a hundred grand, we would be more than happy to put twenty grand into this uh, business that we've calculated at a specific margin of safety price, and we would purchase. Yeah, we're happy to. Yep, for sure. This all comes down to us being very, very confident in the company. Hey, so um, I think Phil Town says, you know, don't don't put money into something for ten minutes if you're not willing to put it in there for ten years, if not the rest of your life. Yeah, it's so a good one. If you are, yeah, if you're confident in research and this is a buying opportunity, then why wouldn't you load it up? Cool. Well, mate, I reckon we've got another podcast here in this. Um, 100%. 100%. Um, should we pause it there? And I reckon we can probably get through the rest in one more. I reckon that's a that's a good plan. There's, um, it's, it's basically all, you know, pricing and then uh, a little bit extra on the end so i reckon yeah that's, that's a good point to cut it off yep. there yep um, so we want to get through the payback price um uh, we've got the 10 cap price to get through so 10 cap checklist yep and um you know and then talking about a few different values and so forth for the remainder of the checklist but we're through sort of the really meaty chunk of understanding um management business and motion all that sort of stuff and that's probably the bulk of um you know, a checklist when we're, you know, examining companies and we really want to spend most of our time there. And then the last parts, you know, should be, should be fairly easily um, able to check off given that we've done all the base work prior. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm really enjoying these episodes, man. I'm really uh, enjoying going back to these basics of how we go through our companies. And this is, uh, this is investing. This is what it's all about, eh? And this is what we use for our, we've talked about our initial dies, our, our quick screen. Um, this is what we use essentially for, for our deeper dives into companies that are, that we feel and believe that we are pretty interested in and, and um, are a, 
you know, are a business that we would love to potentially invest with. So, for sure. um, yeah, we, we go through this and um, hopefully minimize mistakes. Yep. Perfect. Legend, mate. Well, enjoy the NRL grand final uh, tonight. Uh, who's playing? It's Penrith and South. Who's your pick? Um, I don't mind really. Like I like both of these teams. My team's not in there. They finish at the bottom of the ladder, so it doesn't matter. But um, I'll actually, I'm gonna go for it. Nah, nah, bro, uh, Bulldogs. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, oh dear. <laughs> nah, um, I'll, I'll probably back the bunnies tonight just for my uh, grips. So yeah, sounds good. All right, team. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Legacy Investing Podcast. Don't forget to give us a five-star, five-star rating on iTunes and Spotify. And uh, we'll catch you all next week. See you, mate. Thanks for another week, mate. Have a good one. You too. All information on the Legacy Investing Podcast is the opinions of the hosts and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of the Legacy Investing Podcast and any contributors to the podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should consult a licensed financial professional.